Good morning. It's good to be here this morning and uh, certainly appreciate everyone's presence as has been said and uh, hopefully that the things that we study this morning will be beneficial to you and uh, you'll be able to be edified from being here. It's certainly my hope and prayer as we study and talk about these things this morning. Appreciate the prayer on my behalf along those lines as well. I want to talk for just a little while this morning about relationships or relationship building as it's kind of depicted in the picture here. I think relationships are one of those things as you get older, you start to mature, you start to understand the value in them, the value that God has placed on relationships in our lives, not only as Christians, but as human beings and the relationships that we could, should have with each other inside the church and the relationships that we have with those um, that we might come in contact on a daily basis, come in contact with on a daily basis and uh, in our everyday jobs and schools and in friendships. Um, outside these walls. And so I want to study a few things this morning about relationship. There's certainly very different uh, paths we could go down with this. We could talk about relationships between a man and a woman, friendships, uh, relationships with our God, and certainly all those things apply to what we're talking about this morning, but it's going to be a more general look at this. So I encourage you to, if you want to study one of the, one of the more detailed sort of versions of relationships, take these things and drill them down and look at those things. But um, we're going to look at it a little bit more generally this morning. I'm, I'm more and more convinced the older I get that building successful relationships is everything in life. Whether you're talking about Christianity or whether you're talking about business, whether you're talking about learning and education, building successful relationships is the foundation for everything we do. And I hope, I hope that uh, we can demonstrate that this morning as we go through some of this and look at some examples from the scriptures. You know, the, the relationships we have can take many different forms in structure, but can also take many different forms in, in how well they're built. You know, if you think about situations where there are good relationships, like a, a well-functioning body of Christ, and the verses we read about that, and how all parts work together to make up a whole, or you might think about that in context of sports and a team, and the teams that accomplish a lot, the relationships that they have with each other. There's many negative relationships that occur as we look at divorce rates in this country and how often that happens now. I was thinking about, um, as I was studying and preparing for this lesson, I was riding on an elevator in our office building in Dallas, and I was thinking about how awkward the relationships are when you step in an elevator and eight or ten people step on an elevator with you. Nobody knows where to look. Nobody knows what to say. Do you stare at the numbers? Do you stare at the buttons? So relationships take many different forms, and we want to learn how to build up relationships. We want to learn how to improve existing relationships and strengthen those and learn how to build relationships that we don't have. And maybe even this morning you have relationships in your life that are damaged in some way, and we want to learn how we can improve those and restore those relationships. And I hope you find that the information that we study this morning of value. I remember my mom used to tell me growing up as I would think about what I wanted to start studying in college and things like that and ask questions. I remember her often saying that, it, that everything in this life is about who you know. And as a young man, I used to think um, that that was a view of a, of a person that kiss, kisses up all the time. I didn't want to be the person that got the things I got in life because I kiss up to other people. And as I get older, I start to understand the val more the value of that statement and how 
you see things that go on in, in our secular lives and you see somebody maybe get a promotion you think you deserved or earned and you wonder why that happened. Or you see somebody um, gain something in this life and you wonder how that happened. Or, and, and many times it comes down to the relationships that are built. And so it's, it's an interesting study to me. I hope it'll be to you too as well. I want to look at a verse um, sort of as the foundation of this study this morning in Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22 and verse number 36. As they often did, the Pharisees and the men and during Jesus' day often tried to test him and present him with arguments about things. And some of the examples we're going to read this morning are related to those conversations that happened. But here they said, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. I've read this passage many times in my life. Certainly a passage in a statement about love and the love that we should have. But I think fundamentally as well, it's a, it's a passage that teaches us the value of relationships to God. His desire for us is that we would have a strong relationship with Him and and our love would be manifest in a strong relationship with Him. And His desire is that we would have strong relationships with the people that we come in contact in this life. And it's, it's such an interesting passage because He says, On these two commandments hang all the other commandments. Everything else that we talk about that a Christian should do and that a Christian should be hinges on these two commandments. If you're not fully committed to loving your God and you're not committed to loving those around you, None of the other stuff that we do matters. And we see that in passages like 1 Corinthians when Paul's talking about love and how he can do all these things and have all this knowledge and all these talents. And if he does it without love, it doesn't matter. If we don't build these foundational relationships, none of this other stuff we do matters. I think the other interesting thing to me from this passage that we understand is that relationships are non-negotiable. You know, if you've made the choice this morning to be a Christian, relationships are non-negotiable. You ever heard anybody say, I'm just not a people person? That's kind of hard to do and be a Christian. Now, certainly people, some people are shy or more introverted. There's different personalities. We're certainly not trying to criticize that this morning. But if you're making a commitment to be the kind of Christian God wants you to be, you're making a commitment to, to build relationships and have relationships, and build strong and found strong relationships that can be a foundation for everything that we go through in this life. It's, it's awfully difficult to be a Christian and not be a people person. So how important are relationships to God? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 10, he said, Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Certainly talking about the church here and the, and the way that we behave in the church, and it's a lesson on unity and how we should all be unified. It's an important concept to God. God wants us to work on relationships. They're important to Him. It's important to Him that we, that we have good relationships. And not only will... Working on these relationships make our lives better while we live on this earth. And as we interact with people, it certainly will cause less problems and help us achieve things that we wouldn't achieve otherwise. But fundamentally, it will also help us carry out His will as well. Chandler talked about influence Wednesday night. You want to have influence on somebody? You can't do that without a relationship. 
I think most people have heard the old Truman Till quote, I think, where he talks about you, you can't get somebody, you can't tell somebody about everything you know unless they know how much you care about them. That's what relationship building is. If we'll care about other people and work on those things and be genuine and honest in our dealings with them, we can build the relationships that let us carry out God's will in our lives. So as we talk about this this morning, I want us to think about the example that Jesus set. And we're going to read three different stories in, this morning about uh, events and interactions that Jesus had with people while he lived here in his short time on this earth. And think about some of the characteristics that we can see in his behavior as he dealt with these people. You know, as we often talk about looking to the examples that Jesus set, I know it's something that I think a lot about, especially as I think about how to raise my children. You know, when we see the bracelets, what would Jesus do? Although those have kind of come and gone now, I guess. It's a mindset that should always kind of be near and dear to us. How would the Lord have me to deal with this? And as I thought about this, I think maybe the area of Jesus, specifically about Jesus' relationships, there may not be an area where we do a poor job of following the example that Jesus set. And as we look to these this morning, I'd like for you to think about how you deal with other people, how you interact with other people, how you behave in certain situations, and see how well it lines up to how Jesus did. I know many times the the natural thing or the human nature side of this is the hard part of this, right? But Jesus set good examples for us if we'll just look to them and follow those. First one of those is in Matthew chapter 9. As Jesus was going about establishing the apostles, and uh, in this specific chapter, he's um, calling Matthew to to the work. And in verse number 10, it says, Now it happened... As Jesus sat at the table in the house, that behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with the tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard that, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You know, it's... It's awfully easy for us to look at the Pharisees and their behaviors, and we, we do it quite often um, as, as the example of what not to do, right? The, the Pharisees, we read all the verses about hypocrisy and the things that, that they do. You think about verses where the Pharisee stood and prayed where everybody could see him and uh, was thanking God that he wasn't like these other men that were present or the other man that was present and how he was just grateful that he wasn't as wicked and filthy as those other people. And this is another perfect example of that is the Pharisees saw Jesus sit down with a group that they considered vile, essentially, and were questioning why he would even choose to do that. Of course, Jesus' response to them is we would expect and have heard that verse many times over, over the years. But the Pharisees were, were basically just a mess when it came to looking at their self. And so I think the first lesson we can learn here is how we should look inward first. We should evaluate our own lives first as we're thinking about dealing with problems, as we're thinking about um, you know, what we can do to make, make relationships better or strengthen relationships and make sure that we're not the problem. The, the Pharisees certainly lacked the ability to do that in many occasions that we read about. 
In Job chapter 18 and verse number 4, he says, You who tear yourself in anger, shall the earth be forsaken for you, or shall the rock be removed from its place? I think about the times that I've had um, difficulties in relationships, whether that's with family or friends or coworkers, and how you get frustrated. I'm the type that easily gets frustrated and mad, and especially, especially if I think somebody else is at fault for something. And as I think about this verse in Job, you know, what does it accomplish? If, you're, if your natural response to everything is to get hacked off and, and criticize people and say stuff that you're probably going to regret later, what does it accomplish? I can think of not one time in my life where things escalated to that point that I got anything accomplished, much less the desired outcome that I had. It just never accomplishes anything, and that's kind of what he's saying here. What's going to happen? Are you going to essentially change the world by getting mad? No, you're not going to. The rocks are going to stay where they're at. The mountains are going to stay where they're at. The world's going to keep spinning around. So what do you get done when you get mad about it? No good comes from it. So we should look inward first as we're thinking about building these relationships. Number two, we should put others first. As, as the selfish humans that we are, it's not natural for us to want to do this. But again, as we think about teaching our children, a lot of these things kind of come much more into focus for me specifically. But, you know, as you watch a child at a young age, they, they seem very gracious with doing things. At least that's the pattern that I've noticed in my kids. At a young age, they seem gracious. Well, then all of a sudden they kind of start to pick up these habits where they learn that I have stuff and that, that I want to do things. And, and then the selfishness starts to come in. If we'll learn to put, it, put others first, it'll improve things vastly. The Pharisees, again, weren't re- not only did they not look at their own lives, they weren't remotely concerned about the needs of others. They couldn't have cared less about the sinners that Jesus sat down with in this example. They kind of had that holier-than-thou than attitude. They viewed these people as filth and really couldn't even figure out why Jesus would sit with them. Now, they, they had ulterior motives in many of their conversations, trying to trap Jesus and trick him into saying something that he would regret. But they had no desire to put others first. Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 1, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind... So there's the unity conversation. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. You want to build unity in the church? You want to build unity in relationships? Put others first. If you're always thinking of yourself and putting your own desires first, you're not going to have the unity that he's talking about here. If you want strong relationships, put the other person first in your relationship. Sometimes that's hard to do. Sometimes it's difficult. Specific situations make that difficult to do. But if you'll put others first, even if it's just in mindset, you'll be able to work through anything. If you want a relationship to work, think about their needs before yours. And it's funny how often if we'll have that mindset that we've been asked to have, if we'll legitimately care about the other person's needs and what they want and think about that before we think about satisfying our own, it's funny how ours tend to work out as well. The second example we're going to look at this morning is in John chapter 4. Many times we look at John chapter 4 
uh, as we're having conversations about worship and the act of worship um, and how that should occur. And we read about this woman at Jacob's well and talk, you know, think about how the conclusion of this uh, conversation, Jesus talks about how, the, how true worship now um, is done in spirit and in truth. Your heart has to be involved. You have to do it according to how God has asked us to do it. Whereas the old traditions and the people here that he's talking about, their thought was dotting every I and crossing every T. He wanted the full package. He wanted the heart to be there. He wanted you to do what he's asked you to do. And many times we teach that about John chapter 4, but we don't always read the first part of this conversation. And, and to me, that's, that's the relationship part of this conversation. And I want to read just a little bit about that, starting in verse number 7. It said, A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said unto her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get the living water? So she's, like many of the times Jesus had conversations with people, she wasn't catching on, right? She's thinking completely physical here. You keep talking about thirsty and getting a drink. I don't even see that you have a bucket. That well's really deep. How are you going to get water out of it? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whosoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. One of the fascinating parts of this conversation to me is the ability that Jesus had, not only in this specific one, but just in all his dealings, the ability that he had to find common ground. I think we can't overstate the value of finding common ground with people. You know, there's people in, this, in our congregation, obviously we all have a, a common purpose in the church, and there's no more important or valuable common purpose that we can have in the church, but there's a lot of different backgrounds represented here today. There's a lot of different occupations, a lot of different talents, a lot of different interests represented here today. And I think that's one of the benefits of the church in general, of the, of the difference in the body of Christ. Again, the references that are made to the, to, the, to the human body and how all the different parts have a function, specifically about the function in the church, but also just about the talents and abilities and the things that different people can bring to the table, different perspectives on how to do outreach things, different perspectives on what, you know, what might be an effective way to, to take the gospel to our community and things like that. You know, there's people that I can talk about real estate with here. There's people that I can talk about a common interest in baseball with in here. There's people that I may not have much more in common with in terms of interest than the church. And the truth is nothing else is needed. If we have a common interest in the church, nothing else matters. But finding common ground as we're building relationships is an important thing to, to set a proper foundation specifically even related to spreading the gospel. There may, be no more, there may be no more important thing we could do as we try to spread the gospel than to find a piece of common ground with somebody. The woman at the well was shocked that Jesus would even ask her for a drink of the water. 
You know, we read often about uh, the Samaritans in the Scriptures or the, or the times that we read about the Samaritans in the Scriptures and the, and the relationships that Samaritans had with the Jewish culture, and it wasn't a good one. The Jews tend to look down on the Samaritans, so she was just astonished that he would even ask her f- uh, for a drink. But he used the situation to, to sort of find that common ground of worship. The conversation turned into worship. And he used it to talk about the sort of the transition from the old Jew-Gentile conversation to the common ground of worship. He established that common ground with her. And I, th- I, I really believe it's one of the most important aspects of relationship building, especially as we're trying to win a soul or teach somebody about the gospel. Listen to Paul and his comments in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 about this very thing. For, the, for though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. And to the Jews I became as a Jew that I might win the Jews. To those who are under the law as under the law that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without the law as without the law, but not being without the law toward God, but under law toward Christ. So he's saying, I didn't violate God's will in this, but I found common ground with these people that I was dealing with that I might win those who are without the law. To the weak I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be partaker of it with you. It's a very interesting set of scriptures in Paul's sort of view of his own life and his dealings with other people. And I think it's a valuable one for us as we think about relationships that we have with these people. Not, not doing anything that would violate the commandments that Christ has given us, but finding some sort of common ground for people. It may be as simple as going, if you're going to visit somebody sick, you find common ground in, in a loved one that you dealt with. It may be that you have a similar illness. It may be that you lost a grandfather or a grandmother or a husband or a wife or whatever to something similar. And you can share, based on your experience with that, you can share with them and help them. It's a critical part to relationship building. I think Paul illustrates here how important relationships were were to him specifically in his ministry, is what he's talking about here. But I think this is is sort of um, the, the idea that you should show somebody how much you care about them before you show them how much you know. This that's sort of the paraphrase version of, of this passage. I got to know people. I found what we had in common. And that, that let me have some credibility in having conversations with them or interest. It's, it piqued an interest in them having conversations with me. If we'll take a genuine interest in others in their life, it does wonders for our ability to, to not only win them over in, in terms of a conversion conversation, but just win over the idea that there could be a friendship there. There could be um, a relationship there that both people can count on and depend on. And be better because of. Communication is key. You know, we talk about communication a lot. We hear things like men are from Mars, women are from Venus when we're talking about relationship, uh, the husband and wife or the man-woman relationship. And what those writers are talking about is how it's usually a communication breakdown. And I think about many times how how many problems occur in relationships because of a, either a lack of communication or poor communication. Think, think about the times you've sort of 
been in trouble in your own life and how much of that was caused by a misunderstanding you you said or did something that somebody took the wrong way uh, maybe you said or did something that you meant kind of as a joke but it wasn't taken as a joke maybe uh, maybe you just said something stupid and it causes lots of problems I saw a quote by uh, Henry Winkler of all people for those of you that don't remember or don't know that name that was the Fonz on Happy Days and for those of you that don't know what Happy Days is you're going to have to google it Henry Winkler said, assumptions are the termites of relationships. And I thought that was kind of interesting. You know, I've made many assumptions in my life about what I thought somebody meant by something. I've made assumptions about uh, what I thought people might want me to do or how people might want me to behave. And those get us in trouble. And I think communication is the root problem there. When we make assumptions, we're not communicating properly. But you think about that quote and how termites uh, can tear a house apart. For any of you that have bought a house, you probably had a termite inspection as part of your inspection process. I've seen a few places on TV and in person of, of, uh, of buildings that had termite damage. And it's, it's such a, a subtle thing to the casual onlooker, but those termites can destroy an entire foundation of a house. And that's why it's such an important thing to these inspectors. If somebody's going to loan you money on a property, they want to know that the property is going to be there in case you can't take care of your business, that they have an asset to back that property. And as we don't communicate, we make assumptions, make, make assumptions that's just like termites working on our relationships. It'll eat away at the important parts of it, and it'll tear apart foundations of those relationships. This woman that Jesus met at the well made some assumptions. She made some assumptions about the Jewish-Samaritan relationship. And Jesus immediately dealt with those assumptions through good communication. And I think it's a good lesson for us to learn. Another part of this is sort of the whole controlling the tongue aspect. And again, this is a lesson in and of its own. But, you know, Jesus could have probably joined the other Jews that this woman had come across in her life and just kind of piled on the fact that she was a Samaritan. You know, I'm, I'm certain she wouldn't have made the statement to him, you know, why are you asking me for a drink if she didn't have some experience with other Jews that wasn't exactly a positive experience. It's obvious to us how Jesus would behave in that situation, but it probably wasn't so obvious to her. So communicating that that assumption may not necessarily be true was an important part of him dealing with that situation. And he chose, I think, a form of communication that's described in James chapter 3 about the tongue. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able to, able to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths, and they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships, although they are so large and are driven by the fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. You know, as we think about controlling our speech, again, this passage in James, we study a lot about the negative aspects of what, we can, what our mouth can get us into. But he, the two examples he uses, the, the bridle in the horse's mouth, and the, the rudder on a ship, those things aren't negative things inherently. Certainly they can be. You know, you could, the rudder on a ship can, can send a ship in a direction that the pilot doesn't want to go if he's not 
being watchful and careful about what he's doing with it. And the same can be said of the bridle in the horse's mouth. But such a small thing has such a big impact for good or for bad. And as we think about controlling the tongue, we need to understand that not only is there power to create damage in just a few words that we might say or to someone or about someone, that same power exists on the, on the good side of that. The things that we say and do, the words that come out of our mouth have the ability to make us positive influence, and it may be something insignificant that makes a massive positive impact on somebody's life. I think as we think about the Lord and the way that he handled these situations, he understood that. He understood that his speech was a factor in how these people were going to react to him. He understood that um, not only the things that he said, but how he said them, how he delivered them with meekness and gentleness and all of those things made an impact on the relationships. Controlling our tongue is important. Our next example is in John chapter 8, and this is a, to me, this is one of the most fascinating examples of how Jesus dealt with people uh, in his ministry. John chapter 8, the story of the woman that was caught in adultery, and we're going we're gonna to skim through this real quick this morning just in case you don't know of this story, but uh, to me there's, very, there's many fascinating relationship aspects to this. Now early in the morning he came again into the temple and all the people came to him. And he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman caught in adultery, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. What do you say? So again, they're, they're essentially testing him here, wanting to see his response to this, knowing that the law support. The, the, the writing of the law supports the, converse, supports the wording that they're saying. And it even calls out that they're testing here, trying to find something that they can accuse him of. But Jesus stooped, stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he didn't hear them. I can advance this. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground... Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. And when Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. To me, it's just a fascinating example of how he dealt with people. If you think about this. Taking initiative to make things work in relationships is a hard thing to do. You know, I think we have this sort of starry-eyed view of romance and friendship and all this stuff that you just kind of find people that you get along with or you sort of find the person you were meant to be with and that relationships just kind of pop up and work, kind of work. Either, you know, you find someone that you're meant to be with, it's just going to work. The relationship's going to be perfect. People talk about love at first sight and all of that kind of stuff. And the truth of the matter is, it's hard work. Relationships are hard work. There's no other way to say it. But there's a pattern for that. And if we'll take initiative in making it work, it'll, it'll help us a lot. I think, you know, the easy thing for Jesus to do in this specific scenario would have been said, yeah, you're right, stoner. I mean, the law said it. If somebody's adulterous, you stone them. 
I mean, there's, there's Old Testament examples of that. We can read it in the law. That would have been the easy thing to do, but it wouldn't have, it wouldn't have got the desired results. He would have not only lost the opportunity to discuss this woman's sin with her, obviously. She would have been dead. But he would have lost the ability to talk to these people and convict them about their own sin problems if he would have just gave in to that. And by taking the initiative to work through the situation, it's interesting to me how he effectively sort of dealt with both sides of an opposing view here. You know, if you think about the times that we have arguments or get into trouble and cause problems for ourselves, we always want, to, we always want a winner and a loser, right? Even, even with petty arguments, we always want to say, we joke about that in our house, so I'm, I was right, wasn't I? That's what I tell my kids, dad was right, wasn't he? There's always a winner or a loser. And if you think about this specific example, who won? Who won here? Well, the woman, life was spared. I could say, I guess you could say she probably won. But she was also convicted of her sin. So it seems to me that sort of both parties kind of won and both parties kind of lost here. But the point was, Jesus was able to accomplish what, what he was intending to accomplish by, by taking this initiative and, and dealing with people in the way that we've talked about this morning. It's an amazing lesson to me. If you think about any conflict, I think if, if, you, if you could say the result of dealing with a conflict was that both sides came out thinking like they won the conflict, then you've probably done something right. Matthew chapter 5 and 23, Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar... And there, remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. You know, it's kind of a, it's kind of a lesson in worship. You know, you're, you're coming to worship, but if you've got problems with somebody in your life or issues with somebody in your life, go take care of that. God doesn't want your worship if you have all these other issues going on with your life. It's vain worship at that point. That's what this verse is talking about here. He asks us to take initiative in, in not only building relationships, but fixing relationships. And I think, I think this is especially true. lost my picture here. I don't know if I hit something or one second. Well, I may not have slides here. only have a couple slides left, so I'll just have to read them. You'll have to bear with me on that. Sorry about that. I think taking the initiative is especially true if you know you're wrong. You know, we don't, we don't want to admit when we're wrong. It's, hard, it's a hard thing to do. Sometimes we, don't, we can't even see that we're wrong. But if you're wrong... Take the initiative to make it right and reconcile quickly. Take care of the problem quickly. If you'll say you're sorry, admit you're wrong, and ask for forgiveness, it's amazing how people will deal with you. But if you're stubborn and pride gets in the way, those problems just continue to build. I'm going to try this one more time, that screen flash. Let me see if this will work. Okay. Hopefully, I'm sure that was user error, but hopefully we'll uh, get through this here. Or not. <laughs> I'm just going to put that down and we're just going to go through it the old way.
the other lesson that we can learn on how he dealt with this woman is the, na- the nature in which we deal with others, and specifically being gentle with others. And I know most of you that know me are sort of saying, this is the pot calling the kettle black, and I understand that, and I'm preaching to myself as much as I am anybody else this morning. But being gentle with other people, at least for me, is not human nature. Now, there's people that are good at that naturally, but I would venture to say I'm probably not the only one that's finds himself that way this morning. If we will be gentle in our dealings with others, it will have a huge improvement. As we said at the start of the lesson, as we, when we get angry and mad and frustrated, it accomplishes nothing. There's a lot of scriptures sort of littered throughout Proverbs and talking about this. Proverbs 15 and 1, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The next chapter, Proverbs 16, The wise in heart will be called prudent, and the sweetness of the lips increases learning. You know, you think about this woman in this situation and how she must have known she was guilty, right? She was caught in the act. You think about the times... You know, sometimes dealing with the kiddos when they do something wrong, they know they're wrong and they know they got caught they're wrong. Or maybe somebody at the office makes a mistake. You know, they know they made a mistake. If it's an honest mistake, they feel terrible about it. There's nothing you can say to them that's going to make them feel worse than they already make themselves feel. You might pile on that a little bit. But there's nothing you can point out constructively that's going to make them get anything out of that. And I, th- I think that's kind of the way he dealt with this woman here. And that, you know, she knew she was caught. He dealt with her in a gentle way. He didn't excuse the behavior, but the way he dealt with her gave him some credibility in that. And my personal experience with this is that every time that I'll get mad and frustrated, I cause more problems. And I think if we can learn to be general and really work on that, that it'll help us in, in our Christian lives, in our personal lives, in our professional lives, in business, in whatever it is we're doing. And finally this morning, winning fights is not the goal. You know, as I said, we always want to name a winner and a loser in conflicts. We always want to, especially want to be the winner, but even if we're, a, if we're a bystander, we want to know who was right and who was wrong, who caused the problem and who didn't. And that's not the goal. We shouldn't go looking for trouble. You know, you, maybe you've thought before, you know, somebody did something to you and you just, you can't wait to give them a piece of your mind. You can't wait to chew them out about something. Or maybe even more aggressive, you, you know, you want to whip them or start a fight or whatever it is. We can't go looking for fights. Proverbs 25 and 8, do not go hastily to court for what will you do in the end when your neighbor has put you to shame. Debate your case with your neighbor and do not disclose the secret to another, lest he who hears it expose your shame and your reputation be ruined. You know, I think about that in this scenario with this woman and these other men, her accusers. I I think that's kind of how this played out, right? It's like they kind of wanted to drag this out into public and they ended up being the ones that were put to shame about the situation. And isn't that kind of how it works? We want to draw so much attention to problems and troubles, and it, does, it ends up not being good for both sides. If you have problems with people, go work them out. Take the initiative to go work those things out with people. And it's such an easy thing on paper, and it's such a difficult thing for us to practice. We see it all the time. How many times people can't just go work problems out with people? Now, of course, when that happens, we don't know about it, and that's the way it should be. 
If two people can resolve a problem between themselves, nobody else should ever hear about it. Nobody should hear about it anyway, but we hear about it because it's not dealt with in the right way usually. I think if you ask Carrie and Craig about church problems, how many times, if people would just deal with problems like that, they wouldn't have to get involved. And I think God knows that human nature is that we're going to fail on that, and that's one of the goals of leadership is to help keep the church unified and strong. But if people would do things the right way, it would make their job significantly easier. If we would just take care of problems and many times deal with them before they actually become problems. That's why one of the Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Look to make peace. Look to be the guy that can reconcile people. Maybe it's not even your problem, but you can offer advice or solutions. Blessed are the peacemakers. There's a, there's a man named Dale Carnegie that's written a bunch of uh, business books and sort of motivational, inspirational books. Uh, he's a, you might have heard of, he's done many schools and things like that, seminars and things like that on motivational and how to, you know, how to be kind of a better person in business. Many of his books, in the, um, which are all good books, but many of them are, you read them, and you, if you've heard any scripture at all, you kind of think those are just biblical concepts. That's what I think about a lot of these business books that end up being New York Times bestsellers. I'm like, they're just taking Bible verses and rephrasing them as their own concepts, and they're going to number one on the New York Times. But um, he has a book called, Dale Carnegie has a book called How to Win Friends and Influence People, and he talks about, about a lot of the things that we're talking about this morning and practical application of those things and examples of how those things were dealt with in, in people's lives. But one of, his, one of the chapters in that book is about this idea of getting mad and frustrated and dealing harshly with people. And he, and he says in there that the only, the only way you can win an argument is to avoid it, to avoid the argument completely. And it's so true if you think about it because even if you're right, it's going to do a ton of damage if you just keep pressing issues and keep piling on people and getting mad and angry. The only way to win an argument is to avoid it. So winning the fight is not the goal as we think about our relationships. And as we close this morning, I want to read 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 18. If you think back to our opening passage in Matthew, love your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. And all the other commandments hang off of these things. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Relationships are always, always worth building, or worth reconciling, or worth fixing. However you want to say it, they're always worth it. Even if it's not a problem, building a new relationship is always worth it. It's going to add value to your life. It's going to add value to the other person's life. And I think as we're sorting through life's relationship, we should always reflect on this verse and our relationship with God and with our Savior and the way that he behaved while he was here on this earth and the, and the things that he did, not only these people that he dealt with, but in the ways that he offered to reconcile our relationship with God, our own lives. How he handled these things should always be on our minds. So as we close this morning, the challenge, the challenge is to think about your relationships. Think about the relationships you have in your home. Think about the relationships that you have with friends, no matter how close or uh, how far they've got away from you. Think about relationships that you have with um, people that you aren't as close with in your office or in your schools. 
that you see at the grocery store. Think about how you deal with people on the road. You know, we talk about being road rage all the time. Think about, think about the, the few things you say and do in that one situation. And if you ever come across that person again, think about the influence you're going to have or what, or what you're going to be able to offer to them. That's the challenge this morning. And it, if you're here this morning and there's some relationship in your life that you're having trouble with, especially your relationship with God, we, we certainly offer an invitation for that this morning. We want you to work on that situation. People here want to help you. The church is willing to help you. We want to restore those relationships and the value that they add to our lives. And if you don't have a relationship with the Lord this morning, there's no other relationship that's more important in your life. And I'd ask that you consider that this morning as well. As you think about all the relationships in your life and the value that they have, there's none other that can add more value to your life. It's an essential one. And we offer an invitation this morning. If there's any way the church can help you, we invite you to have a seat on the front as we sing the invitation.